Our passage this morning is happens takes place after Jesus had had a long conversation with a Samaritan woman at the well. And this is sort of the end of that conversation and then what Jesus says to his disciples about it. Um, so, by the way, this morning we do have a sermon handout with the scripture. I also have a second handout, if, if you have a chance to get that, that we will be using for the whole sermon series. So John 4. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming. He who is called the Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. And just then his disciples came back and they marveled that he was talking with the woman But no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. And they said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves and we know that this is indeed the savior of the world, world. This is God's word for us this morning. So we are starting, we started last week a new sermon series called, so what, what happens now? And the idea is Jesus is now raised from the dead. What is the plan? What's God's doing? And if I want to give you, if you missed last week, here's the summary. Jesus is alive. He has been put in charge and he has a plan. Jesus is alive. He's been put in charge and he has a plan. And as a part of that plan, he has work for us to do. And this morning, we're going to hear him inviting us to join him in the work of God's kingdom. And we got to, so we think about, I want to think about that, the idea of work, right? Because I I guess for many of us, we have a work, a career that we do. Um, And we also have training that we do. And the, the work we do is so that we can put food on the table. So real quick, either tell someone near you, What work you did and what did you have to do to get trained for that work? So, for example, for me, I'm a pastor, of course. 
I, I, I crammed uh, three years for a Masters of Divinity course uh, uh, in nine years of study. So <laughs> tell someone near you, what do you, what's your work and what training? Take, take 20 seconds for that. So that's the work we do to earn a living. But as followers of Jesus, we have work to do because we have received eternal life, a different kind of living. Um, we have life into the eternal age. We don't earn it by our work. We receive it as a gift from God, as by grace. But because we've received such an amazing gift, we want to, we desire to be a part of that work that he calls us into him, to, to, to give our life in service for the one who's done so much for us. That's what we're going to focus on today. And in this passage in John 4, Jesus is talking to his, his, his followers about that labor, or that work, and he's, he's training them for that work of serving him, of work in the kingdom. And it takes place in a town in Samaria. And so before we get to our passage, I want to talk about Samaria and what it is. Because I think there's some things that Jesus says that makes a lot more sense when you understand the historical background of this, this region. So Samaria, in the older times, before Jesus was part of Israel. In fact, at one point, it was the capital of part of the northern kingdom of Israel. Have you ever been confused about why you sometimes say Israel and sometimes you say the Jewish people, like, or Israelites, like, what's the difference? Well, when the Hebrew people came out of Egypt, led by Moses, and were brought into the promised land, they were organized into 12 tribes, the 12 tribes of Israel, based on the 12 sons of Jacob, who's also known as Israel. So the 12 tribes of Israel lived in the land, and they were united together, and especially united under the kingship of Saul and David and then Solomon. But after King Solomon, the tribes split. Basically, they went into a civil war. And you had the northern tribes of Israel, and you had the southern tribe, the biggest one being Judah. And so at that point, for many years, there was these two different states. And you'd say one would be Israel or the northern part of Israel, and then you'd have Judah in the south. That capital was at Jerusalem. And they sometimes would fight each other, but they, they were always at odds. The capital of the northern kingdom was a city called Samaria. Now, both the northern and southern kingdoms faced a challenge, a temptation, that the surrounding nations all worshipped other gods. And that worship tended to filter back into Israel, especially the worship of the god Baal. And both, they, both kingdoms were led into idolatry, into the false worship of Baal, and the Lord was fighting against that. 
And so one of the prophets who was very active was his name was Elijah. And God, Elijah served Yahweh, the Lord. And he, he tried to urge the people to come back to, to worship Eli, uh, Yahweh alone, the Lord alone. And he battled against the prophets of Baal and, and some of the other false prophets. And in the end, he did not succeed. Israel continued to move towards idolatry and false worship. And God withdrew his protection and the northern kingdom of Israel was conquered by the Assyrians and they imported new peoples into it. So Elijah did not succeed, but neither did he completely fail. He, at the end of his ministry, there was a remnant who continued to worship the one Lord, Yahweh. And you see that when you read about Elijah, how he would go from town to town and there were people waiting for him, people who stayed true to to the Lord. And somehow that remnant continued through the ages. Because of Elijah's work, there were still some in the land who who stayed faithful and continued to worship. Now they they remained separate from the Jews in the south, the, the, the people of Judah. And so they would not have joined with the, they called the Jews, the people from Judah. And, and they did not, because they weren't going to go worship at their temple because they had split apart. But they still worshiped the same one true God. And over time, the Jews and the Samaritans hated each other, right? They, they, they even though maybe they, there some of the things they believed were the same, they hated, they worshiped at different temples and they were at odds, and there's a lot, a lot of history that goes into it. And then the Jews from the south actually spread up into the north above Samaria into Galilee. And so you had Jews above Samaria, and then you had Judea below Samaria. And a good faithful Jew, because they didn't like the Samaritans, would actually go all the way around Samaria and try to avoid going through it. But not Jesus. He took his disciples straight through. When they were going from Galilee to Judea, he went through. And so at one time they find themselves at a well in this town of Samaria. They need supplies. The disciples go off to get supplies and Jesus is there alone. And that's when a woman comes up to draw from the well and Jesus engages her in conversation. And Our text starts at the end of that conversation. Jesus engages this woman. He starts talking to her. They have this extended conversation. And at the end, she says, I I know the Messiah is coming. She's part of that remnant that still believed in God. She still had some idea of the truth. It's then that Jesus reveals to this woman something that he had not yet revealed to his own disciples. It says, I who speak to you am he. He is the Messiah. And so she, 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 she believes, but she's like, what do I do? So she goes off to the village to tell the rest of them, come see this man. Come, come see this one I've talked to. Maybe he is the one we've been waiting for. And in the meantime, his disciples come back. And they see him talking to a woman, and they're like, what? what's going on here? And... And it was kind of odd that 
Jesus was breaking a social convention. Generally, in that time, men and women did not interact unless you, you know, knew each other or related in some way. But Jesus went, he put people ahead of the social conventions of his day. And so he treated that woman as a person. So he was interacting with her. They were a bit surprised, but then they said, well, no, no one would say anything. And in the end, they said, all right, Jesus, why, why don't you have something to eat? All right, Rabbi, you know, we, we brought food back. That's, that's what they had gone to do. And Jesus decides to use this as a teaching moment. He loved to do that. Something would happen, and he would use that to point something out to his disciples. And so he says, I have food to eat that you do not know about. They're like, what? Did, did someone bring him food? I didn't bring him food. Did you bring him food? Well, maybe someone from town bought him. How, how did that? You know, they, they, they're confused. And then he says to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and accomplish his work. Jesus had come on a mission. He had been sent by the Father to reconnect mankind, people, back to God again to bring them into relationship with this father. And he's saying, I find more satisfaction in doing that work, in doing the work God had sent me for, than just sit relaxing and eating dinner. I find more inner joy in that, inner, inner um, satisfaction in that. And then he, he, he starts to point them to, the, to a truth. He says, do you not say there are yet four months then comes the harvest. I say, look. And he's pointing at the town. Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and the fields are ripe for the harvest. And so he's comparing the work of God to harvest time. And he's inviting them in. Join me in this mission, this labor of, of the kingdom. It is, it's more satisfying than even the best New York pizza out there, right? It's, it's better than anything else to, to um, be a part of what God is doing. And he says, already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life. What's he talking about? Well, that woman, the one he had had this conversation with now is at the town saying, come Come see this guy. He knew everything about me. I don't understand it, but, but come hear him. She's drawing people towards him. She's playing a role in the work of the kingdom, even though she just met him. And, and so she's gathering fruit, it says, so that the sower and reaper may rejoice together. Who's the sower? God. Who planted the seeds that set them up so that, that they will would be respond to Jesus the way it is. God is the one who sowed the seeds. And when we do his work of the kingdom, we the sower and reaper are joining together. And they can rejoice together. We get to rejoice with God when we see the fruit come, come into being. And then Jesus says, for here the saying holds true. One sows and another reaps. God is at work in many ways. And we don't always know exactly what he's up to, but he, he's sowing seeds. He's, he's preparing the way for things. And we get to be, play a small part. 
And then here, verse 38 is, is, is interesting. It says, I sent you to reap for that which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. Now, I'd often read that and just breezed through that, not really understanding it. And then a few years ago, I did a sermon series on Elijah. That's when I understood what he's talking about. Jesus, the other laborers, other ones who've labored, are Elijah or maybe other prophets whom God had put in that path that had, had laid the groundwork for people to be ready to respond when the Messiah came. And here are the disciples bumbling about. They're kind of clueless. They're focused on getting their next meal. And, and right in front of them, there's going to be a great ministry opportunity. You get to, you get to, it's, you're going to have it easy because the hard work has already been done by others. Elijah had a great monumental task in trying to keep the, the people of Israel from turning to Baal. Um, for you, this is going to be easy. You're just going to have to talk about the Messiah and they're ready for it. And then the Samaritans come. It says, uh, many Samaritans from that town believed because of what the woman said. And, and they come to Jesus and they ask him, will you stay with us? Teach us, help us understand. And so Jesus alters his schedule to stay there two days. But, but I like what that, that idea. They, they want him to stay so they know if it's true. And maybe that, that could be someone here that you're, you're not sure about what you're learning at church. Maybe you're new to this or maybe you've heard other things and you're trying to figure out. And maybe we'd just say you're seeking. You, you want to understand the truth. I want you to know that you're in the right place. It is good and right to come and seek and ask questions. You are welcome to ask questions of me or of others. You know, we won't look down on you if, if you're just still trying to figure it out. In fact, after worship, my plan is to, to head over to that hallway there and there'll be some coffee. And anyone who wants to ask questions, I want to be able to respond to them if, if that's. So keep seeking out the truth. It, um, learn more about what Jesus said before you make that decision, whether you believe in him or not. That is, that is absolutely what you're encouraged to do by the scriptures itself. So Jesus stays with them, and, and at the end, I love what they say. It is no longer because of you, the woman, that we believe we have heard for ourselves, and we know now that he is the Savior of the world. Now we've heard it. We've investigated it. We've seen for ourselves that it is true. And that, that's true for all of us. Like maybe you first heard because of a, a parent or grandparent, or Sunday school teacher, at some point, you got to dig into the scriptures yourself and make that decision, I, I believe he's the Savior and I'm all in for following him. The story doesn't end there. We, maybe I've always, maybe wondered, we don't know whether Jesus ever came back to that town again, that specific town, but we know Peter and James, or Peter and John, eventually went back to Samaria. In Acts chapter 8, it says, and this is so a few years after the resurrection of Jesus, it says, when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. I wonder if they saw some of these same people from this same town 
when they went and started to teach there. Jesus is inviting you this morning to join him in the work of the kingdom. To not just earn a living in this world. Not just work for the bread, the food that spoils, but work for the eternal life that, that, that brings joy to, to the sower and reaper together. There's more satisfaction than being a part of what God is doing than anything else in this world. And he's calling all who follow him to make sharing the good news of Jesus their life's work. Whatever job you do to put food on the table doesn't matter. You're not necessarily being called to be a pastor or a missionary, but you're still called to make the good news of Jesus your life's work. Wherever he has you, in fact, the job that you have or the positions he's put you in or wherever he has you, he has you there because that can open up doors that others wouldn't have. What if you saw your life that way? God has put me at this position among this group of friends in this little golf out, uh, group I'm in so that I, I can connect to these people and I can bear witness to Jesus in the midst of them. He wants us to be passionate about the, the, the Savior of the world and invite people into to knowing him. So I want to go to three points about this, about this work. One is the work of the church is to make disciples. Um, we want to invite people to join with us in following Jesus. There's a, a John Kimball. He's a, one of the four C's pastors. Uh, a, a guy I read has, has a real short book called, about disciple making. And, and his definition is so, so simple, it's easy. It says, a disciple is devoted to Jesus. A disciple is devoted to the people of Jesus. And a disciple is devoted to the mission of Jesus. Right? So if, we're, if our job is to make uh, disciples, we are inviting people to be passionate, to, to, to join in those three things, to be devoted to Jesus, to be devoted to his people, the church, and to be devoted to the mission of Jesus. At East Glenville, here, here's, our, here's what we're about. Learning to love God and love others as we follow Jesus together. This is who we are. And this is who we're inviting people to, to join us. We're, we're figuring it out, right? We, we don't always have it together. I'm still learning what it means to follow Jesus. I'm still learning how to love God. I'm still learning how to love others. I invite you and all of us to, to learn together how to do that. The, the second point I want to make is God is already at work in the hearts and lives of people. So I recognize I haven't used the word evangelism, but that's what sharing the good news is about. It's, it's the, the word evangelism means one who shares the good news of Jesus, right? That's, and, and you hear that word, and you're like, oh, wait, wait, nope, that's not me, right? I remember, like, we had televangelists in the, the 80s, and like, oh, I don't want to be one of them. Now I guess I'm sort of am one, because I think we're sort of being broadcast, and, you know, live streamed. Um, but... The idea of evangelism can be intimidating, especially for you introverts out there. Can, can you raise your hand if you're an introvert? <laughs> right? Um, I want you to know something. 
It is not our job to somehow convince people to believe in Jesus. He's already at work. And salvation belongs to our God. Salvation is his work. And there's things he's doing in the hearts and lives of people. We can't convince anyone. We, it's, it's not in us to do it, but he can. And I want to offer a, a chart. And so I mentioned the, the golden sheet, right? This will sort of be on the screen, but it'll probably be too hard to see. You'll see it better. I have found this to be both helpful and it puts me at ease as, as someone who feels like I want to be a part of evangelism. And it's called the Angle Scale of Evangelism. And it, it's a chart of the steps that someone might go towards becoming a disciple. And it starts off with, you know, gives you a negative 10. At negative 10, someone knows nothing. So, so the first step is just awareness of the supernatural. And then at negative, you know, one more step, they have no effective knowledge of Christianity. And then one more step, they have initial awareness of Christianity. And then one more step, they're at interest. They're at negative seven. They're at interest in Christianity. And then at negative six, they start to learn about the message, awareness of the basic facts of the gospel. And then at negative five, they start to grasp the implications of the gospel. At negative four, they're positively inclined towards it. At negative three, they see their personal need of how they need to respond to this. At negative two, they feel the challenge and they're ready to make a decision to act upon the message. And at negative one, it's repentance and faith. A person decides to to turn away from other things and turn to Jesus, the Savior, and put their faith in him. And that's when, at zero, a disciple is born. That's kind of the stage zero. And then there's a a second half is the things that go from there. And and I'm not going to go through all of those, but... But, you know, you start to, to learn how to grow in understanding. You grow as a Christian. You start to learn how to put your gifts into action. You start to live a Christian lifestyle. And ultimately, at, at positive 10, you are, you are making other disciples, right? So all of these are steps in the, the journey that someone has with God, that, that he is leading someone on. And sometimes our role is just to help someone make one step. I think we feel the pressure of evangelism when we think, I'm going to take someone who doesn't know and doesn't believe and somehow get them to at least step five, right? You know, they they better make all these changes or I've failed. No, that's not it at all. Sometimes our only job is to give them a positive view of Christianity. Like if they've been seen from the media and told that Christians are hateful people, maybe our only role is to, to help them have, see a positive example of a Christian who's, who's not a jerk, right? And that, that will move them that one step closer. Um, who knows? The thing is, God is doing the work, not us. And so joining him in the work just means allowing him to use us in these steps, Hold on to this sheet, if you would, and keep bringing it back. We're going to keep coming back to this, the rest of the sermon series, as we talk about being a part of God's mission. Point three, disciples are made one by one. The goal is not to have some mass program that 
some program that produces mass disciples. Now, that sounds great, you know. You get a lot of people out that way, but these programs tend to create followers of programs rather than followers of Jesus. Everyone has their own issues, their own questions, their own concerns. Everyone has to make that step of faith by themselves. And so we want to invite people to think through their issues. And so it it happens one by one. Now there are seasons of harvest. And maybe I, I know that the era of Billy Graham was one of those seasons where it seemed like loads of people came in. But even then, they, they came forward, but right, didn't they pray with someone one by one? So it's always been one by one. There are seasons of great harvest, and then there are seasons like the one we're in, <laughs> where uh, I guess recently the, the number of people who are members of church in America went under 50% for the first time. We're in a different season. That's okay. Salvation is God's work, and he can still use us whatever season we're in. And I asked you to think about the training you receive for your job. We need training on how to to do this work as well. We need to learn together. And I think one of the best ways to do that is to look at what Jesus did. So I want to close by going back to the beginning of John 4 and looking at his conversation with this woman. How did he get her to the point where she was reaching out to others. And I'll, I'll do it briefly, but it starts when he, he engages her in conversation. Um, he's just sitting there by the well, and when she comes up, he, he, he engages her by saying, could you give me something to drink? And she's shocked because that's so out of, out of the, the mainstream. Like she says, how, how can you ask him that? Jews don't share utensils with Samaritans. Like, in other words, he's asking to drink out of her cup. And again, Jesus did not let the social boundaries stop him from doing God's work. So he first engages her. And then when she expresses that surprise, he does something that would draw her interest. He says this. He says, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. He's, he's being mysterious on purpose, right? She's like, living water, what's that? And, and that's pretty much what she says. And then he goes on, he, he begins to explain and teach about what she needs to know. He talks about what it means to have this living water, to have God's spirit living inside you. And he says, whoever drinks of the water I will give him will never be thirsty again. And so... She, she doesn't quite understand. And, and so then he, he makes it personal. He, he asks about her family. Tell me about your husband. He, he listens to her life. And when she talks about how she's been divorced, he doesn't judge her. He's non-judgmental in the way he responds and says, you've had it hard, haven't you? Many men have left you. She does, he doesn't slam her brokenness in her life. And then she gets a little nervous. So she does, I've seen this happen. She brings up a conflict. Well, you Jews say we have to go worship in Jerusalem, but we have our own temple. We worship at Mount Gerizim, right? 
She, she tries to start a fight. Why? Because it's getting personal. And he diffuses it. Oh, you're so right. But I'll tell you, the day is coming. The day is coming when those who worship God will worship him in spirit and in truth. It's not about the temple in Jerusalem. It's not about the temple in Mount Gerizim. We're going to be able to worship God directly. And then lastly, Revelation. He says, well, I don't know. I don't know what all this means. I just know the Messiah is going to explain it to us. And that's when he says, I am he. See how he leads her through with that conversation and the brilliance of how that works. We need to learn that. We need to have Jesus train us how to engage the people in our world, in our life, in modern secular America about how to, how to have conversations like that that we might be a part of his work. I want to close with just an image. It's on the other side of our, our yellow goldenrod sheet. And it's an illustration that I'm going to keep coming back to. And I'm not going to talk too much about it right now, but it's a ship. And it's how I picture a single congregation, not the church as a whole, but a congregation that has come together to join in the work. Jesus at one point told his followers, I will make you fishers of men. You see, this ship is not a cruise ship, right? It's a ship given a mission. There are people in the water drowning. There are people in the water lost and hurting. And the ship, the congregation, the church is called to engage people and help them out of the water, help them into life the way it's meant to be lived, help them out of the situation to share the good news of Jesus that they might join and, and escape the, the, the struggle that they're having, that they might truly find salvation. And what I'm convinced of is that's not just a solo work, that the work of evangelism, the work of the kingdom is done together. That's why we're a ship. That's why we're united as a fellowship to do that work. Can we begin to pray and ask as a, as a congregation, Lord, how do we do this work? How do, we, how do we do this and empower us to do this? We want to be a part of whatever you're doing in this world. How can we work together? And how would you have us work in, in our whatever situation in life we're in to help people come to know Jesus? This morning, our Lord is inviting us into the work of the kingdom. Let me pray. Father, I thank you that you are inviting us into the joyful work of serving you, of loving people, of, of letting them know that that, that the Savior of the world has come. Lord, help us know how to engage people and get behind the barriers that are up about religion and specifically about Christianity. Lord, we know it's not an easy season for sharing about the faith. But Lord, you are a good God. You, are, you have the power to, to, to knock down strongholds. Lord, so we ask that that power be at work through us as we give our hearts in service to you. In Jesus' name, amen.